hiring, delegation, building awareness, and more with today's guest. Are you a leader trying to get more from your business and life? Me too. So join me as I document the conversations, stories, and advice to help you achieve what matters in your life. Welcome to Unbound with me, Chris Dubois. Minnesota native Clint Rush answered the calling and joined the Army after September 11th. He served both enlisted and as an officer deploying to Iraq, where he honed his leadership skills on the battlefield. He's now led teams across geographies, industries, and company scale and has consistently delivered growth-oriented, culturally rooted, and process-driven outcomes for employees, stakeholders, and clients alike. Clint, welcome to Unbound. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Chris. Really appreciate it. This is going to be a fun episode. We're going to dive in. There's probably going to be some military jokes that people are going to have to look up at some point um, <laughs> to get to fully grasp what's going on. But uh, like all episodes here, the best place to start is with your origin story. And so, yeah, take it away. Sure. So I uh, grew up in Minnesota, went to college at Wisconsin, uh, dropped out of, of school and joined the Army the day after September 11th. Um, which was a unique experience. Uh, I showed up at the recruiter's office, and this was kind of before the the swell of recruits. And you know, he didn't really know that that was coming. And so I walked in and said, "Let's let's do this." And he said, "Well, let's let's sit down and you know, let me tell you about what the army has to offer for you." And I said, "Let me tell you how to recognize buying signs. Like I'm I'm here to do the deal. Let's <laughs> let's make that happen." Um, but no, it was it was a great experience. Uh, spent eight years in the military, and then you know, like you said, uh, was was uh, enlisted for a while, officer for a while. Um, when, uh, when I got back, uh, got out and went to work in transportation. Um, and I didn't know anything about trucking at the time, but it was 2009 and they agreed to, you know, pay me every other week, which was really appealing in 2009. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I ended up actually really cottoning to supply chain. It wasn't anything I had done in the military. And so, um, it was new for me, but it was, it was really this interesting nexus of kind of all different parts of, um, of a business. And so I spent time in supply chain, worked in, um, worked in finance for a while, worked in consulting for a while, uh, and then kind of found my way back to supply chain after some time in healthcare. Um, and then recently, uh, you know, so for the last, last three years, uh, led a, uh, global logistics firm based here in Kansas city. That's what brought me to Kansas city. And, and, uh, uh, I stepped down from that that role um, actually very recently. So you know we, we finally completed the transition. The process started a little while ago, but um, yeah, taking the summer for myself, and then you know on to the next next thing starting this fall. So that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah, we'll talk more about the next thing uh, at the end too. Very but, cool. uh, but for right now, so you have a very uh, different perspective than most people, especially coming from from the army where you have enlisted time and officer time. Uh, I don't know that a lot of people appreciate the difference in how you show up for those different positions. Uh, there is a very dramatic difference. Yeah. Um, and then now taking that experience and also coming into the leadership world in, in, in like corporate America and being able to apply those skills. So you have probably seen the organizations from so many different perspectives now, um, right? Like what, what are those kind of, the things you should be looking for when you show up to know that it's going right or it's going wrong as you yeah. come in. Yeah. Uh, to your point of, of kind of the, the, the difference between the officer and, and the enlisted thing, you know, I think I had, um, the last year I was with the unit I deployed to Iraq with, we, we picked up a, a, a soldier, 
uh, maybe six months before we deployed and uh, somebody brought him back to the, the, the office. Um, and I had another soldier who was, you know, real problem guy, you know, one of those problem children, right. Can't, can't get rights. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. every so often, you know, Lieutenant Rush would take the bar off and Sergeant Rush would kind of show back up. And, uh, and so this, this new guy shows up and he says to one of the other guys, man, Lieutenant Rush seems to yell a lot. Like that, that's, it's kind of weird. <laughs> and he said, you, you, you've seen nothing. Like you, you have no idea what's coming. So, uh, but no, I think you're right. Like it is, it's a very different experience and it's a different, uh, it's a different lens. And I think um, having those two different, the, those, those two different experiences in the military and then coming out into the, into the business world. And then especially, you know, spending time in consulting gave me this incredible view of, of all these different organizations. And I think when you talk to, when you talk to organizations, uh, when you talk to people in organizations, when you step into an organization, um, you know, the, the, the aphorism, right. Attitude reflects leadership. Like it's so true. It's so true. Um, you get a sense of, of leadership capability and, and the way that a leader is the areas of leaders strong, the areas of leaders, you know, going to, going to, uh, stub their toe. Y- you get it by talking to their people. You know, when you, when you talk to, to people within an organization, you can get a sense of the culture real quickly. Um, and I think that, that, one of the things that's really top of mind there really, you know, kind of jumps to the, to the top of the list is, is openness, right? When, when you talk to people who are, you know, I, I, um, whenever I would interview somebody, I would always ask them questions that, that they weren't expecting to hear, right? The goal of the interview was not to give the, like, I, I don't, I don't want the question of, you know, tell me about a time that you disagreed with your supervisor and found a way to blah, blah, blah. Everybody's got that answer in the bag. They already know how to, how to answer that question. Um, I wanted to give them a chance to like really think and get a chance to see who they really were. Uh, and then the people who asked me those questions when I was interviewing them, you know, and at the end of the interview, you know, what questions do you have? And they'd give you the ones that are, that are so off the wall and you go, man, like, but I've never thought about that before. And I had such a respect for that person and said like, that person's going to fit in our culture because our culture was all about transparency. Right. It was all about this idea of like just candor and transparency and openness. And like, if those things are there, then you're going to get a much better communication. Right. So to, to, to really directly answer your question, like if you, if you really want to get a sense of what an organization looks like, talk to half a dozen people that are, that are not in the leadership group. Right. They're going to tell you what's important. They're going to tell you what's, you know, what the truth is. Right. It's, it's, you know, the military, it's the same thing, right? The privates will always complain about stuff. And, and that's the stuff that needs to get fixed, right? Like, that's the real issues. Right. Yes, they will definitely <laughs> complain about stuff. Um, but, but yeah, no, I like that. And, like, it is pretty crazy how just in an interview, how you can just ask a, a single question and it completely changes the tone of of the interview and allows you to actually see this person. Totally agree. Uh, something it was like just fun that I used to do was I would just tell them to teach me something. Yes. And I was just like, One anything, of my favorites. Like, what do you, what do you want to know? Yeah. And like the people who jumped right into teaching me something, I'm like, I like you. Yeah. This is going well. Yeah. Versus like, Oh, I don't know. Or like, what book are you reading right now? Yeah. And just, I don't care if it's fiction, nonfiction. I just want to know what you're reading. Like, yes. I'm curious. I, so I used to use yeah. teach me something you think I don't know, which I loved mm. because it, it gave me an insight into like what they think I do know. Right? right. I was interviewing a guy that, once and like, I said, teach me something that you'd think I don't know. And he started teaching me about, uh, about how to brew beer. And I said, man, like you've seen my resume, like you, 
I went to the University of Wisconsin. Do you think I don't know that? Like that's, <laughs> I think that's a minor we all get, right? Like, no, like don't right. do your research, man. Um, but like, I think that's, it's, it, the teach me something is such a wonderful question. Um, it, it's yeah. such a, such a great insightful question. I like to ask people to tell me a joke uh, because I think that yeah. when people show up in a job interview mindset, like they're never thinking, they're, they're never thinking like, oh, I'm going to be funny today. Right. They're, they're, they're thinking right. about, you know, all their numbers that they've had in their past and all that stuff. And you can kind of knock them a little bit off their, off their pedestal and kind of comfort. Like mm-hmm. it, it makes the interview a little bit more comfortable. Right. So. And being hired hinges on whether you laugh. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, that, it, I wasn't expecting to talk the hiring stuff, but uh, yeah, but like two of the big questions that I'm constantly asking when I look at a team or look at individuals is, am I safe and do I matter? Right. Those are the two big questions that are going through everybody's heads. Yeah. So even in an interview, how can I make them feel safe and like they matter? So they do open up because uh, when you see them, someone's sweating yeah. and like their hands shaking or they're like, stuttering over words. It's like, just let's take a breath. Yeah, we got this. Exactly. Like, well, I think I think that's true, whether you're whether you're hiring somebody or whether you're coming in to look at an organization, if you're looking to purchase the organization or if you're coming in to to, you know, just to get a sense of like your new team or whatever it is. Right. That ability to mm-hmm. get people to be comfortable in the room and say, like, listen, let's just have an honest conversation. Like this is yeah. this is a place where we can we can disagree and it's okay. Right. And and I want to learn from you, mm-hmm. you want to learn from me. That to me, that's a really big indicator of um of how to how to understand what that organization is like. Similarly, if you get people, you know, when you when you talk to somebody and they they work at it at you know XYZ Corp and you go, well, how is it there? And there's that like uh, uh, okay. Well, now I know, I know everything I need to know about working at XYZ Corp, yeah. right? Like the fact that they couldn't answer that question in, in a really, you know, articulate and immediate way, I think is, is problematic. Um, and so, you know, when mm-hmm. it comes to, when it comes to looking at leaders, when it comes to looking at, at your team, somebody else's team, whatever it is, I think that, um, the candor of that conversation that you can have right away answers so many questions about it. Right. Yeah, yeah, agree wholeheartedly. Uh, let's get into talking about the importance of self awareness for leaders. Yeah, uh, actually, just go. <laughs> just, what a, I, I think yeah. it's. I mean, open ended. Yeah, I think it's. It's the look. I, I don't think I've ever met a good leader who's not self aware. I think mm-hmm. I've met a lot of bad leaders who are self aware. Like, so it's not a guarantee, right? It's not, the, it's not the magic bullet. Yeah. But if you don't have strong self-awareness as a leader, you're going to fail. It's just that simple. You're going to fail. And I think a lot of that self-awareness comes from, um, it comes from being really introspective and being willing to devote some time to thinking about, like to thinking about yourself, not in an arrogant way, but in a very critical way. What are the things I'm screwing up? What am I bad at? What do I, where do I need help? Um, and you have to be really intentional about that because if it's the stuff that, you know, I think as leaders, uh, it's very easy to conflate the things we don't enjoy with the things we're bad at. And those aren't the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. They are not the same thing. Right. Sometimes they are, but they're not inherently the same thing. There are a lot of things that, that we're good at that we're really, that we don't enjoy. And there are a lot of things that we enjoy that we're not good at. Uh, I think, you know, a cursory examination of my golf yep. scorecards would tell you that that second part is absolutely true, right? <laughs> um, but no, like in, in truth, 
uh, I think good leaders are, it, it requires that understanding of, of what we're good at, what we're not good at, what we enjoy, what we don't enjoy. And they're not those, that's not the same question. Um, you have to cultivate an environment with your team where they can tell you, hey, listen, you really enjoy this, but you kind of suck at it. Like this, this really isn't your, it's not your wheelhouse, right? It's, it's somebody else can do it better. Like we can come up with a hundred euphemisms of how to say, listen, you're bad at this, but like you have to have that, that, that candor with your team. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's, um, the, the military to bring it back to what we were talking about earlier, I think actually really cultivated that in me, right? The, the AAR process, the after action review process, the candor that you have in those moments really makes it easy for people to be self-aware and for people to be able to say, yeah, I really did a bad job there. Like that's really something I screwed up and that's okay. Right. We're going to get better tomorrow. Um, I think that in the, in the business world, in the civilian sector, uh, like I think we, we too often conflate our, um, our performance with our intrinsic value. Right. And, and there's this idea that if, if I say I did a bad job, Mm -hmm. I'm saying I'm a bad person. Right. Um, and, and I just think that's a flawed, it's just a flawed way to think there's, there's something that we're all good at. There's something that we're all bad at. Like each of us has strengths and weaknesses and, and, you know, personally, uh, it's something that has led me to, to changes. And I mean, my, my most recent, you know, career shift, right. The decision to, to step away from, uh, really a thriving company and a company that I'm so proud of the things we did you know, came as a recognition that, look, I'm not good at the things that the company needs next. Like, I'm not the right fit for that. I was the right person to get us here, but I'm definitely not the right person to get us there. Um, and and that's, it, it requires candor with yourself and candor with yourself, I think, requires a lot of confidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sorry. Okay. That's just me kind of off the top of yeah. your, your open-ended. No. Yeah, well, that was great. Hey, if I could just send open-ended questions like that and get those types of answers, I'd do more often. Uh, but no, that's a, I think a lot of startup founders get stuck in a place where they use titles very early to bring people in, get them excited, like, oh, you're going to be the CMO. And so they're like, oh, let's do yeah. this. And they get the company to 1 million, you know, maybe 5, 10 million. And then that CMO isn't the right person for the, and so like you have to fire someone now yes. just cause you gave them a title. Cause they're not going to, most people aren't going to admit, Hey, I'm not the right person to help you grow yeah. this at this point. Yeah. Um, and so like, yeah, I mean, I agree entirely. Right. I, but I, I think that like, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned that point of like kind of people outgrowing the title. Right. And I think, I think over titling is something that, that you're right is a huge problem in startups. And it's a huge problem in, I think a lot of businesses because Look, and as, mm-hmm. as people are trying to get, you know, more and more competitive with, with hiring and with, you know, with, with staffing, the title doesn't cost anything, right? I can, I can give somebody more money or I can give them a fancier right. title and I can get them with a fancier title. The problem with the title, with the mm-hmm. overtitling is that you end up in jobs that like either the person's not capable of evolving or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they, they aren't the right fit for what that job requires. Um, and I think, you know, yeah. I, I, I got a friend who's, who's, um, his his title structure early on in organizations is always head of or you know something along that line. He doesn't give mm-hmm. actual titles, and the reason is that you can very easily say, "Well, you were the head of something. Now you're the director, right? And we're going to hire a VP, right? Um, right?" And and I think he's he's really trying to 
like proactively avoid the conversation that you just mentioned, which is, you know, you're the chief, you're the CMO, but like, you're not CMO anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like it's it, it, great. You, you've, you've muted like 10% of the difficulty of that conversation, right? The hard part of that conversation mm-hmm. is the part where you have to say, listen, you were really good to get us to a million in revenue, but you're not the guy who's going to get us to 10 million or you, you got us to a hundred million, but you're not going to be the guy who gets us mm-hmm. to a billion. Like you're just not the right person for that seat. Um, and right. I, I think a lot of that comes from, or a lot of the, the, that conversation, the challenge of that conversation comes from the idea of saying you're not rather than you are. Right. And like, that's, I think the really big unlock for me is being able to say, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. Right. And so when I find myself in a situation where I'm not good at something, I'm just going to default to saying, Hey, look, I need to seek the thing I'm good at. Um, but again, it comes back to like, you right. have to be willing to be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Cause there's a couple different ways to look at that. Right. You could, you could say, Hey, this is my, my gap. I need to fix it. I need to take that, but you're not necessarily going to have the time to put in the number of reps needed right. at, at this level yeah. in order to make that happen. Uh, but something that I've seen pretty often with titles too, is like, I'll be interviewing someone who says I was the, the CMO here and I want to be the CMO there. But then when I look at the results of what they've actually done, it's like, I know someone just gave you a title because you haven't right. done what I would expect right. a CMO to yes. do. And, uh, and that's like hurting people in the long Very run. Much so. so now you're not actually taking care of people. You're almost, using it just as a, a leverage point to get more totally from agree. Them. And so, yeah, but yeah. I, I think your, your point about um, your point about it being a leverage point, I think is an interesting one. I also think it's a case where, you know, the, the look at the problem with titles inherently is they, they are, they're shorthand for jobs, right? At the end of the day, they're just shorthand for, for what the job is. But like, look, the, the, the CEO of mm-hmm. Ford motor company and the CEO of like, Jim Bob's tuna fish and tire emporium on the corner. Like those aren't the same job, same title, not the same job. And so like, and and that's, that's not to denigrate either of those two guys, right? Like when, when you're the CEO of a startup, Mm -hmm. you you do everything right. I, you know, and again, I'm gonna bring it back to the army. I I had a, uh, you know, there was a, there was a company commander that was adjacent to us who, you know, very early on in my career, he said, uh, he said, Clint, you know, the thing about the army is like, we do everything half-assed, man. And I thought, oh, okay. He goes, but we do do everything. And I thought, okay, that's actually like a really good point. Right. And, and I think there's a part of that, like when you're, when you're the, the CMO of the small company, right. When you're the COO of the small company, when you're that person versus when you're that person in a big company, just markedly different skill sets. And, and, Mm-hmm. Trying to trying to put one into the other, you know, it, it's it's very square peg round hole. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's similar to working B two B and then jumping yes. B two C. Like the environment's different. different. Yes, right. And and if you yeah, if you're not able to acknowledge those those differences, like if you think, oh, well, I've sold stuff before. Well, did you sell okay. shoes or That's did fine. you sell you know goes. two million dollar software packages? Because right. those are different. Those are different. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, let's talk about, so I'm taking yeah. it back now a couple, uh, different directions ago. The, <laughs> we talk about the stuff yeah. you enjoy, the stuff you don't yeah. enjoy, right. And keeping these on a chart with the, the stuff you're good at and the stuff you're yeah. not good at. Now we had talked, 
um, four, right? But have the stuff you don't enjoy, super easy to delegate. Like if I, if I don't like doing this, I'm going to find someone else yep. to do the work. Uh, the stuff you're good at and you enjoy, obviously we've just talked, easy. right? We're, you're yep. going to keep that stuff. It's, it's your yep. sweet spot. Now, the stuff that you enjoy, but you're not good at, right? This is where I think you have said before, like this is where people yes. fail the most. How do you go about actually identifying these these spots, right? Because you're probably coming in blind at some point if yep. you enjoy it. You're not necessarily knowing that yeah. you suck at it. Uh, how do you go about identifying those for people so you can actually figure out, you know, how to handle it off. Yeah, I think I think that's the I really do think yeah. that's the dangerous box is the stuff you enjoy and and I mean it's the stuff you enjoy and are bad at and the stuff that you don't enjoy but are good at. Like those two boxes are the hard ones, right? The the don't enjoy suck at right. easy, the enjoy good at easy. <laughs> it's the other two. And I and I think the 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 enjoy but bad at the the real challenge of it is there's not like a good there's not a good feedback loop to it. There's not a, you know, you don't get poked with a stick. Because if you do a bad job at it, you just have to do it again, right? And that's okay because you like doing mm -hmm. it. And you know, for me, um, so I'm I'm a uh, I'm a systems thinker. I'm a creative person. I like to try to problem solve. I like to try to come up with things that you know try to try to build systems to to solve problems within the business. And when I say systems, you know, that's people, that's process, that's tools, all put together, right? Okay. So I really enjoy like that creative outlet, right? That, that is, that, that's where that kind of creative outlet shows up for me. All right. That exact same muscle shows up in marketing, right? It's a creative outlet. Here's the thing. I'm yep. really good at the first one and I'm really, really bad at the second one, right? But I enjoy it. It's something that's fun for me because I get to scratch that creative itch. And I know I'm really bad at it. Because when I do it, it doesn't work, right? <laughs> but it doesn't bother me right. because I go like, sure. oh, cool. Now I get to do it again, right? Hey, we just need, we just need more. Like mm -hmm. we, we had, you know, 30 slug lines for something. Screw it. Let's make 80 slug lines for something. Like that's fun, right? I get to do more of it. And like that part is enjoyable to me. So it's, it's, a, it's a really seductive thing that's really dangerous because you enjoy it. And there's not a good feedback loop to say, like you're doing it, you're doing the thing you like to do more because you're so bad at mm -hmm. it, right? I think the right. way to avoid that is you got to have somebody tell you. You got you got to have people around you who can tell you early on. Look, you're good at this. This is where you're at your best. Okay, this is where you're not. Like, stay over there. Don't come over here. Mm -hmm. That's the first part. Is have somebody tell you. The second part. Once you get enough reps, like once you get enough, enough game tape on it, you can start to look at it and say, here are the things where I can point to having had a ton of fun, having really enjoyed what I did, and then seeing long lasting impacts of the decisions I made. Right. So, um, yeah, I mentioned systems thinker, like very, you know, process oriented, right. Um, so uh, the company that uh, that I was with in the past, we we redesigned our uh, our clinics, right? And the, the clinics had been these larger, you know, it, the, geographically they were located close to healthcare centers. We wanted to, we ended up putting them closer to communities. They were large. We ended up making them small, and it was this insane day where myself and and my my uh, my boss 
rain, rain is pouring, you know, against the window in his office. And we were just there scribbling like crazy people on the whiteboard wall that he had, right? Trying to design like, well, no, you can't, you can't do it this way. And you got to do it this way. And you got, and like, it was just this, it was this madcap brain, brainstorming session, right? And it was tons of fun. It was so much fun. Like it was an incredibly enjoyable day. That that the output of that day is the design that we've used since then, or they've used since then, right? So, like, tremendous impact from that thing. And I can point to that and say, okay, that's the kind of thing that I'm really good at and I really enjoy, right? Great, easy. Mm -hmm. Now I just seek those experiences. Now I just say, what's the environment in which that shows up? Well, I know that there's a size component because like the, the guys at Google, right? The CEO and COO at Google, they don't have conversations like that, right? Tim Cook's not designing devices for Apple. Mm-hmm. He's not, right? He's not having that conversation. Um, there's a team of people that are doing right. it. He's so divorced from it, right? Okay, well, that, that tells me that I need to be in this, on the smaller end because I enjoy having my hands dirty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to be something that is that is physical in nature. It needs to be something that impacts people. It needs to be something that affects the way in which we do our work. Right. Right. That's an operational role. Right. It's, it's, it's definitely not the marketing and sales side. Right. Cause that's, that's more esoteric. That's more, you know, mm-hmm. about the feel right now, the way that we manage the way that we set up a CRM. Hell yeah. Like bring that up, bring that over to my side. Right. That that's my world. Okay. The way we get stuff to put into the CRM. I don't know. Go, go talk to the sales guy over here. Like he, that's his world. Right. And, and so like being able to have those reps to be able to say, I'm seeking this rather than trying to avoid that. Right. You start to, you start to get enough I'm seekings and then you kind of draw a fence around it and you go, okay, they all have this stuff in common, but then there's this other group of things that I really enjoy. Right. Why didn't I put them in the bucket? Like, cause I do those things. Right. And I enjoy them. But why didn't they end up over here? Mm-hmm. And the reason is they didn't end up over here because they don't have lasting impact. And they don't have lasting impact because I'm bad at them. And that's okay. Right. But it's not okay to just keep doing them. And I think that's how we think about, right. That's how right. we think about finding that bucket of I enjoy, but I'm bad at. Right. Conversely, the I don't enjoy, but I'm good at bucket also shows up in the same way. Right. Where's all the things that I, I did this stuff and it was really effective, but God, I hated it. Right. Well, I didn't put them in the bucket because I didn't enjoy it. Okay. Too bad. So sad, man. Like that's what you're good at. You need to do it. Right. Like that's, that's how you're adding value to your team. And, and you got to do that stuff. You can't give it away because otherwise the team's going to suffer. Right. So having, having enough reps mm-hmm. to be able to say, these are the things that to really box out that I love it and I'm good at it box it will leave those other two things on the sidelines. Right. So I want to keep following this, but I also want to go back and ask one question around. So you can look at the gameplay footage to identify these, these areas of concern for yourself. Um, But you can also find people to tell you when you're just not doing well. How do you go into an organization, find those people? How do you go into an organization and find them? I think you you don't go in yeah. with the intention of finding them on day one, right? Like you you have to get that you have to be able to build that connection to be able to say mm-hmm. like this person's right about a lot of stuff, right? Like I think that the, their judgment becomes incredibly important. 
um, you know, I talk about the difference between precision and accuracy and like the balance between precision and accuracy. And I think that that people are really too weighted toward the precision side. Right. If, if, if somebody tells me that it's, you know, it's 53 degrees out and somebody else tells me it's 53 and a half degrees out, I don't care about the 53 and a half. Right. Now, the thing is, right now it's 89 degrees. So neither of those people did a good job of telling me what's what. Right. The person instead <laughs> who goes, man, it's hot out. Like, it is hot. Right. OK. It's hot. Doesn't even have a number. But I trust that person more than the 53 and a half person. And I'm going to seek that person's advice much more often mm. because they're directionally accurate, even if they're imprecise, right? That honesty, I think, yeah. shows up in, in areas that are really unexpected. Um, you know, they, they'll, they'll call their own fouls, like when, they're, when there's an issue, right? When you're, when you're in a project meeting, they're the ones who raise their hand and go, hey, I screwed this up, right? The one who says like, well, you know, it was on time and then Chris got involved and it, like it didn't work. Okay, that person, they'll never tell you the truth about you, right? Because they're perpetually right. looking for like, how do I, how do I play the politics, right? Um, so I think that's part of it. I think uh, the other way you do it is, is you look at the people who are affected, right? Like the, the, the guy who runs IT, he's going to give you good insight about whether you're, whether you're helping in IT, right? Your, your CFO is going to mm -hmm. tell you if you couldn't speak finance or not. And, and, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the end all be all, right? Because everybody wants to kind of protect their own, their own territory, unfortunately. Um, but I think that that's a good place to start um, is, is looking at those ty types of things. Um, the last thing I think that is, that is valuable in, in being able to, to find those people is doing some like personality testing on yourself and recognizing things that are different about you, like things that are unique about you, right? Whether they're, whether they're, they're favorable or disfavorable. So, you know, like if you take the, the big five test, right. Or the, you know, big five personality uh, traits. So I score really high on the extra version. Okay. What that means is I really want to find somebody who's very introverted to tell me what they think. And I want to find somebody who's very extroverted to tell me what they think. Right. Because I can take the information of one person and say, look, you see the world the same way I see the world. Right now, I have the ability right. to see the world through basically my eyes shifted. Right, the introvert totally different. Right, totally different. Now I'm balancing my perspective, and so, like, yes, you got to talk to both, right? Yep. And you're going to have to talk to both in both cases. But it's what you do with the information after you get that that becomes so impactful when you know where you're standing. So. Mm -hmm. That's how I've yeah. done it. Awesome. I don't know if it's the right answer. It's it's worked out for me though. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever deliberately looked for them. I've just moved yeah. towards those people because it's like oh, I I feel you being honest yeah. with me a lot. I like that, and so and even when they're calling you out for something you did wrong, you're still like I like yeah, this. Exactly. Keep going. What exactly. else? <laughs> but I think if you if you can if you can seek those people in areas where you know you have you know you have a blind spot, there's so much value in that. Right. And it really does mm -hmm. become very self-perpetuating, which right. is great. Right. That's that's the flywheel of, of like development that we're all looking yeah. for. So let's let's talk. You just went through like a string of different roles and how they can help you kind of know your role better. Uh, so let's just yeah. talk about owning your role and the, the ability to kind of know what what impact you need to yeah. be making specifically. 
how do you how do you help your team just stay aligned on the stuff that they can do you know to uh make sure that all all of the wheels yeah, are still moving in the right I think, direction you know the first thing that 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 really derails teams in that situation i think is a lack of clarity right i think it 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 there there's a you know what chris rock's got the joke you know like it's okay to be married to a crackhead if you're a crackhead right like and it, it it's a good joke right but but i think there's actually some business application to it as well right which is like you just got to be clear with each other about expectations there's got to be like clarity of who owns what and once you have that um you've got to be transparent about it right and those are those are different like one is about specificity and one is about communication and so you know if you and i are going to do things right the the ability of, of of both of us to understand what lives in your world and what lives in my world like you got to have both of those things right um there's a there's a thing that I saw that says that that every time a business triples in size, uh, it goes through a significant like complexity epidemic, right? So you think about it intuitively, it makes a lot of sense when it's just when it's just the two of us that are running something. If I'm not doing it, I know you're doing it, right? And if you're not doing it, you know I'm doing it. And then we introduce this third person, right? And now all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm not doing it. Which one of them is doing it? And that becomes important. So I think thinking about right. things through that kind of size component, right? That idea of, of you know, tripling, creating problems. Um, but I, I think the other big piece of it is uh, when it comes to, to um, aligning and coalescing around a, uh, a particular initiative, a particular project, a, you know, something that's going on, right? Even if that's an ongoing thing, it doesn't have to be a one-time, it can be an ongoing. Um, having that that collaborative conversation and that ability to say like i know that you know what i said right again let's go back to the army right it's the back brief mm-hmm. right it's the okay i gave you an instruction tell me what i just told yep. you right which seems a bit pedantic but like there's a way you can do that you know in in a in a very normal way um i use the the 108010 uh, approach which is uh, you know, I own the first 10%, yep. you own the middle 80%, and then together we're going to do the last 10%. And so if I say that, then I know that you have the, uh, like you have the, the, the drive to make sure that before we break, you know, exactly the first 10%, right? If I haven't defined it effectively, like that's, mm-hmm. it's on you to make sure like to hold me accountable for, de- for defining it effectively. Um, I think that's been really effective, right? Um, and then once you have a, you know, and, and you know, you mentioned uh, EOS when we were chatting earlier, like, I think that that accountability chart plays a huge role in that, right? You've got it defined, you've got it published, everybody understands what's what, everybody understands how we're, how we're measured against it. And now it's just about how do we have honest, candid conversations to say, this is what you're good at, this is what you're good at, go execute. The visionary integrator piece, I think is, is fun to look at when you're, you're talking about owning roles because many startup founders, right? They're Mm -hmm. generally going to be the visionary and now they're going to come in and they're going to want to do everything because they have, they started the company for a reason, right? Because they do something different and they want to bring that to market. And I, I have seen the hard part is for them to be willing to pull in an integrator, someone who can just (laughs) shut up and color, right? I'm going to get the job done. Yeah. Right. This is what yeah. this is your vision. I got it. 
and they just go do it. And so, yeah, just looking at that, that perspective, right. Of, it, I think it's, it's really awesome. interesting. I, uh, I think that some people are, are, I don't want to say late, but they're, they're late in their development on bringing in an integrator, right? Like they, they hold on to that stuff too long. And I think that other people are early, you know, they, they try to bring in an integrator, uh, you know, before, you know, when the company's too small, right. When they're, when they're just trying to get rid of things that they don't want to do, right. They go, that's hard. It's not fun. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's never, it's, it's never a fun conversation to tell people that they don't have a job anymore. Like firing people is not fun. It's not going to be fun. Right. There's not a part where like it, after you do your 106th, like all of a sudden it's fun. Like it just doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it just doesn't exist. <laughs> but there are so many people who go like, well, we're going to bring somebody in who's going to do it because I don't like doing it. Okay. I get it. You don't like doing it, but like, that's your job. Mm-hmm. That's, that's like part of the job. That, that's, that's the thing that comes with the job is you right. have to do it. Um, and I think that like that, that, in that that's mm-hmm. for, for an HR example. But like when you think about the integrator component, um, I think it's a question of complexity. I think it's a question of when the, when the thing becomes big enough that you need somebody who has a different skill set to get their arms around it. Um, and, and mm-hmm. you're right. It's, it's that, you know, they want to do it. Like the, the, the visionary who, who founds that company and wants to do everything. It's hard to let go of stuff. But you're you're going to lose if you don't. You know you 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 can't you simply right. can't scale yourself right after a certain point. Um, I mean, if you if you can and you figured out how to have like right. a twenty five hour day, like you're going to be a trillionaire, right? Like that you have truly solved like the the mm-hmm. great you know space time issue of, of of humanity. You're probably in the wrong business if that's how you figured out, right? Like. Mm-hmm. You haven't figured that out. Go right. go hire somebody who can who can help you with yeah. the things that are um, that are the you know to your point like just shut up and color right. There, there's an element of that which is uh, which is there. I think the other thing though is when you have a like where where I've worked really well with a great visionary is when we've both been at the table to be able to like it's not it's not his idea to come up with it's not his job to come up with the idea and then my job to execute right. Like that's not, that's not the right, to me, that's not the right thing. The right thing is to say, we both see the world differently. Now let's sit at the table and figure out the idea together. And then let's figure out the execution plan together, right? Like it's, it's not two people that don't talk. And I think that's the other thing that, that, um, that people really stub their toe on is they go, okay, well, I'm the visionary. I've got an integrator. Now, like that person's just going to make it work. And all I have to do is pie in the sky ideas, right? That doesn't work either. Right. So I think it, Mm -hmm. It, it, it's a tough, um, it's a tough pairing. Uh, there's a great Harvard Business Review article about like the seven types of, of COOs um, or six types of COOs. That's like a, um, it's really really interesting. Uh, but I think that job is by by definition, it's a very unique role um, because you're you're kind of responsible for a nebulous thing, uh, and so a good communication with that with that integrator is so important. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Clint, this has been a fascinating conversation uh, that Thank I feel you. could go on for a long time. <laughs> so instead, we'll just have you, we'll have you back for another episode. I like uh, it. Sounds great. But uh, right now, what, uh, what book would you recommend everyone read? Uh, I think uh, Hard Thing About Hard Things is the best, it's the best mm. business book ever written. 
Um, I, I ask everybody on every team I've ever worked on to, to read it. Uh, I think it's, it's tremendous. I try to read it once a month. Um, I think it's, it's incredible. Uh, you got to be comfortable with profanity. Um, but, uh, but it's a, it's a great business book. And I think it, it, uh, it touches on, um, learning from failure, which I think is something that most, uh, most business books don't do. They, they become very, you know, self-congratulatory and like, here's, here's the great company I built. Now do what I did. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it's far, far more effective to look at it the other way. So I, I love, I love hard right. things about hard things. Yeah. Awesome. What is next for you professionally? Yeah. So what's next for me professionally? Um, so I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, having left, um, having left the, the logistics company that I led, uh, we went, you know, we grew from about 18 million to about 125 million. Uh, and during the time I was there and, and one of the things that I recognized was that I'm, I'm better at the smaller end, right? I'm better when the, when the business is in that small stage and, and that rapid growth and that's where I'm, I'm strong. Um, so, um, I've actually just joined, um, uh, flow therapy, which is the, the, the company that, uh, I was actually with prior to, uh, my last role. Um, I've gone back to, to flow and, and when I was there, they were, they were legacy hard care today. They're flow therapy. Uh, it's a really cool company that does, um, unbelievably, uh, innovative and, and really cool, non-invasive, uh, cardiovascular therapy for chronic ischemic patients. And so, um, folks who have, uh, have chronic heart issues, um, you know, often their, their choices are, are basically surgery or a lifetime of pills. Uh, neither of those is great. Um, and, and what flow offers is a, is a non-invasive therapeutic approach to, to managing that heart disease. And, and, um, it is a, an unbelievable company. Uh, the story is incredible. Uh, the founder founded the company to like save his grandfather's life, which is the coolest story imaginable. Um, and we're great friends and, uh, they are, uh, we are, uh, set up for, uh, incredible success and incredible growth. And, and to our conversation about, you know, you need that, that integrator at the right time. Um, they're about to tip over, uh, into a stage where one person can't wrap his arms around the whole business. And, um, so, uh, I'm going to be joining them as their, uh, I've joined them as their, as their COO. Nice. Awesome. So very excited. Yeah, no, that is exciting. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, I want to check it out more, but I don't want to be a patient. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, anyways, it's, uh, it's an amazing therapy. Yeah. Hey, where can everyone find you? Everyone can find me at, uh, at clintrush.com. That's the, that's the best place. Uh, I've got, uh, there's some stuff on there of my, you know, my, uh, my guiding principles as a, as a leader, there's a contact me section there. So yeah, check me out on there. And, and, uh, that's got links and all kinds of stuff. Awesome. Well, Clint, Thank you for joining me. Uh, it's been a fun conversation. Thanks, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. And for more information on how to build effective and efficient teams through your leadership, visit leadingforeffect.com. As always, deserve it.